when I started thinking about and praying about what should be my final series of messages with you, I was uh, compelled to the life of Moses. I only have four weeks, but I'm going to, we're going to look at four of what I think are some of the most important aspects and points out of Moses' life. So if you'll turn to the book of Exodus, uh, we will begin there. Have you ever thought about what the phrase, I'll try, really means? I'll try is kind of a halfway commitment in my mind. I'll try kind of leaves me feeling like I can say, I'll try, it didn't work, but we kind of expected it, you know? Uh, you know, it's not the high commitment response that I really think I want for my life. I'll try leaves the, leaves the door open for negativity. There are important things in life that we don't say, I'll try to. And I've, uh, through the years, conducted lots of weddings. And one of the phrases that's somehow or another, in some sense, is always put into every wedding is the statement that, that, that uh, we, we ask the bride and the groom this, will you today commit yourself to this other person leaving all others behind? What if I said that to a bride and a groom and they looked at each other and they said, well, we'll try. We'll try is a pretty weak response at that moment. You are looking for complete commitment. Would you vote for a person who says, I will really try to do a good job as governor, mayor, or president, or congressman, or whatever. I'll try. No, you're looking for somebody who says with confidence, I'm going to give this my all and I'm going to succeed. Would you submit to a surgery if the surgeon comes in to see you and says, well, it looks like your appendix is about to burst. And what I'm going to try to do is cut you open, pull that pickle out, and sew you back up. We'll see what happens. You'd kind of be like, you know, I want another opinion. I don't want somebody who's just going to try. I want somebody who confidently says, I've done this a hundred times before. It always works, and I'm going to do it again. You see, this is the difference between I'll try and I'll do it. As a matter of fact, the whole, uh, the whole culture of saying I'll try is kind of embodied in a little thing we say. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. In 1836, a poet wrote a poem where that came from. In part, it says this, "'Tis a lesson you should heed, try, try again. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. I looked that one up on the internet. It's many stanzas long. I cut you some slack and only read you two lines. But the fact that you knew it tells me that you are a literate group, that you know 18th century or 19th century poetry. You should be on Jeopardy. Some people have come up with alternate endings to the phrase, if at first you don't succeed. Do you want to hear a few alternate endings? If you first you don't succeed, you should stay away from skydiving. <laughs> if at first you don't succeed, failure may be your style. Here's one I like. If at first you don't succeed, you'll get lots of free advice from others who also failed. Or, if at first you don't succeed, try doing it like your spouse told you to. I like this one. If at first you do succeed, try not to look shocked. Somebody once said, remember this, eagles may soar, but weasels never get sucked up in an airplane engine. 
I don't know if that's helpful, but I thought it was good. Many great stories and uh, contemporary stories began with failure. Of people who said, even though I failed on the way, I wasn't just trying, I was a doer. Henry Ford decided that he was going to build an automobile plant. He went bankrupt along the way before he began the Ford Motor Company. J.K. Rowling wrote a book. She submitted it to a publisher who said no. She submitted it to another publisher who said no. She submitted it 10 more times, all 12 times the publisher said no, nobody wants to read a book like that. Finally, on her 13th try, a publisher took her up on it. She has, to this date, sold half a billion books. Fred Astaire, for you older folks here, went for a screen test. He wanted to be in the movies. He was just a young man. He went for a screen test, and they they had him sing and dance and act and do all these things. And here's what the person who adjudicated him said. He can't act. He can't sing. He's kind of bald, and he dances a little. He went on to a 76-year career, making 31 musical movies. He's been named the fifth greatest male star of all time by the American Film Institute. He, didn't, he just didn't try, he did. Finally, Jan Coam, a young man, applied for a job at Facebook, and I love this story. He applied for the job at Facebook, and he went in and he sat before the interview committee, and they listened to him, they looked at his background, and they wrote him this letter, we don't think you have any potential in this line of work, thanks for applying. But Jan was not somebody who's just going to try at this, he decided he was going to do it. So he and a friend decided they would write an app themselves to put on phones and notebooks. It was called WhatsApp. Two years later, Jan sold WhatsApp to Facebook for $19 billion. I don't think there's a better ever I told you so story. You should have hired me. Life is full of stories of people who in their search for significance did not quit. They said to themselves, I'm not going to be the person who said I tried. I'm going to be the person who said I didn't quit. And there's the big difference in life. Today we're looking at a story of a man who tried and he failed. He was confronted by God to do it again, but to do it God's way. So my message title today is, Do or Do Not, There Is No Try. Somebody here recognized that. I didn't say that myself. Do or do not, there is no try. Well, it was a horrible time in history for God's people, the Israelites or the Hebrew people. They had, uh, they had uh, early in their existence, Joseph had brought his family, it was a tiny little seed of what was going to become a great nation, brought them to Egypt during a famine. There they flourished, not only survived, but they flourished, and they became a great nation. And in just 70 years, they became huge. So huge that the, the Pharaoh, who was the new one who had come along, the old Pharaoh who knew Joseph had died, the new Pharaoh that came along, and Pharaoh is the Egyptian word for king, The new king that came along didn't know about Joseph, didn't know about the promises that he had made to the Israelite people, but he did see two things in them. He saw that they were free labor, so he made them into slaves. 
And as they continued to grow, he also saw them as a threat. He said, this people could actually revolt and take over. And so uh, in, the, in their suffering, in their time of, uh, of having to do slave labor, he also began to impose on them horrible restrictions regarding their personal and social lives. One of those was that they could, ha- they could keep no male children. Because of his fear of them growing too strong, he said, listen, every male child who is born, you must take that child, that baby, and throw it into the Nile River. You can keep the females because he didn't assume that they would become a threat to him. And they could still be good slaves. So during this horrible time, Moses comes onto the scene. Let me give you a little bit of the story. In Exodus chapter 1, verse 22, as you see on the screen, the king said, take every newborn Hebrew boy and throw him into the Nile. God has always used the worst of times to display the best of his power and glory. He didn't wait for a better time. God didn't say to himself, you know, when, when things lighten up, when the virus is gone, when the problem is over, when we can all do what we want to do again, then I'm going to deliver you out and we're going to go to the land of promise. No, he said, during this worst of times, I'm going to let my glory and my power be displayed. And during those times, he brought about a young couple who listened to the voice of God. A man named Amram married a woman named Jochebed. And who wouldn't marry a girl named Jochebed? That's a great name. Anyway, so this, this young couple, they had a couple of kids that they had before the edict, before it was illegal to have male children. And then God spoke to them and put in their heart, have another baby. Can you imagine the discussion at home? Honey, I feel God is telling us to have another child. I think that's nuts. During this time, what if it's a boy? No, but God has spoken. And so they went ahead and they had that child. Human wisdom would have said, not now. But human wisdom is never parallel to God's plan. And God began to speak into their lives and they acted on it. And human wisdom right now would say, this is no time for the church to have bold thoughts. This is no time for you to take on a new ministry. This is no time for you to begin to give in a way you never gave before or to say yes to God in a way that you've never done it before. But human understanding is not the same as God's plan. And God began to speak to them and they acted in obedience to what God said. So at this time in history, baby Moses was born. Acts chapter 7 says this of him. It says, at that time when he was born, it was seen that he was no ordinary child. Some translations use words like beautiful, but he was much more than beautiful. You know, to most, to most ladies, every child is beautiful. To most men, every child is something you don't want to get touched, you know. So this child was more than handsome or more than beautiful. This child was spiritually significantly different. He wasn't ordinary in any way. But it was a boy. And for three months, Jochebed and Aram, they they hid that baby boy. But pretty soon it's impossible to hide a baby boy. And they realized that they could no longer hide the the boy, and so they came up with a plan, a bold one, a God-inspired plan. And can I just tell you sometimes something? There are times when you're in the most unusual times, when you're in the most difficult times, you need a God-inspired plan. And God had an inspired plan for them. He said, here's what I want you to do. Get a basket, line it with tar, put your baby in it, and obey the king. Put the baby in the Nile. So Jochebed technically obeyed, but in her heart, she was defying puts that baby in the Nile. She sends her daughter, 
Miriam, go watch in the bushes and see what happens. And you know the story that the king's daughter, the princess, comes down to do her ritual bathing in the Nile River. And while she's there, she found Moses. She heard him crying. They got him out of that basket and she picked him up. And in Exodus chapter 2, verse 10, the Bible says, she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Here's something interesting I just realized. Jochebed and Aram didn't name their baby. The princess named the baby. She called him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. The name Moses means drawn out. Drawn out. Keep that in mind as we go on today, that Moses was drawn out of that Nile River. The Egyptians called this river the Hape, named after their river god, Hape. The Nile River has always been the source of life for Egypt. Without the Nile River, it would just be a desert wasteland. It was uh, in Joseph's dream. The, the, the cattle that came in his dream came out of the river because it was their source of life. When God struck Egypt with the plagues, he struck the river, striking the very heart of their religious system, that their, their god, Hape, is not God. And it was out of this river that Moses was drawn. He was literally drawn out of that river, a river that was death for, for the Hebrew children, a river that was a, a, a place of idolatry for the Egyptian people. Moses was drawn out of, of a river of death and brought into a place of life. Do you see kind of a parallel for you and me? You and I have been drawn out of death. We have crossed over from dark to light. We have crossed over from death to life. We are drawn out people. God has picked us up out of a, out of a, out of a horrible situation, out of sure death, and he's drawn us up and he's brought us to a place of life. He was drawn out where so many had died and he became a blessing because he was drawn out. God has called you and I to be drawn out of, a, out of a place of death, not just so that we can live, but so that we can be a blessing, so that we can be a, have an impact. Moses was not saved because he was prettier than every other baby in Egypt. It was because God had a special purpose in mind for him. Someone said of Moses' life, it can be divided into three 40-year parts. He lived to be 120 years old. The first 40 years he spent in the palace. He was literally being raised in all of the royalty. He was the Meghan Markle of that time. He was an outsider who was brought in. Okay, too far. I took that too far. Okay. All right, he was an outsider, though, that was brought into the royal family. He was raised as the king's grandson. Conceivably, he could have even been in the royal ascension to the throne because he was adopted. So for those first 40 years, we could say this of Moses, that he lived as if he were somebody. He had everything. When he went somewhere, a chariot, was his transportation, and people ran ahead of him and said, make way. Wherever he was, he was known. 
as a prince. The second 40 years, Moses discovered that he was actually a nobody. So he went from somebody to nobody. And in the third 40 years, he found out that God can use nobodies. So let's see if the biblical evidence supports that. During those 40 years, as I said, his first 40, he was groomed in the ways of Egypt. He was groomed as a, ro- as a royal. He had everything, riches, everything was at his disposal. But somehow he became aware of who he really was, his, who he was as a Hebrew. And he began to notice the suffering of his people. And in his heart and in his mind, he thought, I want to make this wrong right. And so one day, as he was going in his daily routine, he came upon an Egyptian slave master who was beating a Hebrew slave. And something triggered in Moses. And he jumped out of that chariot. At least I see this in my mind. The Bible doesn't give us all the details. But I see him getting out of that chariot, grabbing some sort of weapon, and killing that Egyptian slave master. He thought that that was a hidden act. The next day, he was again on his travels doing what he was doing, and he saw two Hebrews who were fighting with each other. And he jumped down again, thinking himself to be, I'm going to insert myself into this situation. I'm going to start to right these wrongs. And he got between them. Hey, guys, come on, your brothers, let's not fight. And one of them looked at him and says, what are you going to do, kill me like you just did that other guy? And what he thought was hidden, he realized was known. And now he became fearful of his life. And the Bible tells us that his grandfather, the Pharaoh, began to seek his life to kill him. So Moses flees to the desert where he spends now the second 40 years of his life becoming comparably to who he was, a nobody. He becomes a shepherd. He marries a, uh, marries a girl. Her dad has sheep. He becomes shepherd for dad. I mean, can there be much worse than working for your father-in-law taking care of sheep? So he spends 40 years in the desert taking care of sheep. And during that time, he is reduced. He's no longer the prince of Egypt. He's no longer got anybody running ahead of him and said, make way. Now he's ahead of the sheep saying, this way, come on. But God had not forgotten Moses. God had not forgotten his people. And God was using this time. He had to reduce Moses down to a person that he could lead, to a person that he could use. He had to take all the pride and hubris out of his life. And he used that time in the wilderness as a training. Think of this. What was Moses going to spend the third 40 years of his life doing? Leading people in the wilderness. So he was a wilderness expert. He knew about water. He knew about the, 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 the dangers and the, how to navigate the area of the wilderness. And the Bible tells us that when he was on the backside of the wilderness, the very furthest point that he could go, he encountered God. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, the Bible tells us the story that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames inside of a bush. This bush was not being consumed. It just was burning. Some kind of, some kind of thing out of Disneyland where it just burns, but it never burns up. And he thinks, I've got to go see this. And so he, he, he stops what he's doing, leaves the sheep behind, and, and walks over to take a look at this bush that's burning, but it's not burning up. And here Moses discovers what God can do through a nobody. God begins to speak to him out of that burning bush. You know the story. He tells him to take off his shoes and to listen to what God has to say. 
So God begins to reveal some things to him. The first revelation was incredibly good news. And that is found in chapter 3, verse 8. God says, I have come down to rescue them. He's speaking about the Hebrew people. I've come down to rescue the Hebrew people from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And Moses is going, this is excellent news. This is great. God is coming down. He's going to bring the people of Israel out. He's going to take them into the promised land. He's excited about what he's hearing. And then God says, oh, and then there's this part. You are going to do it. And Moses goes, that's not good news because God says, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. All right, this suddenly turned bad news. Have you ever had that happen? Where you hear good news. God is going to do great things. He's going to raise up a great ministry. He's going to just break this city wide open. And you're just going, hallelujah. And then God says, and I'm going to use you to do it. And you're going, oh, I didn't hear that right. It's not going to be me. It can't be me. So Moses begins to voice his objections and to straighten God out on why he's the wrong guy. Have you ever done that? God, I need to kind of straighten you out on this. You don't seem to understand the dynamics. You don't seem to understand the personalities at play here. You don't seem to understand my track record, my history. Moses begins to list them off. He says, first of all, God, I am a nobody. In verse number 11, he says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? The fact is he was highly qualified. Spent 40 years in the court. He knew everything about that place. But he had been reduced down to, I'm a nobody. I can't do it. And then he said, I don't even really have much of a relationship with you. I don't even know your name. He says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? What do I tell them? I don't know you. I don't know your power. How many of us have ever said when God has put his hand on us and said, I'm going to use you, we default to saying, I am such a spiritual baby, I can't do it. I, 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 have, I, I have very little experience. How can I pray for the sick? How can I minister to those kids? How can I do this? How can I do that? How can I possibly? I am such a spiritual newbie. You know, I, I've known people that have served Jesus for decades who still fall back to that. I, I, I don't have enough experience to do this. And then he goes on to say, and besides, I'm not much of an influencer. And I, I kind of gather from what we're talking about here, I'm going to have to really influence some people. In, verse, in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, what if they do not believe me or listen to me? And they say, the Lord did not appear to you. What if they say, I'm making it up? And he says, and on top of that, I'm a horrible person in front of people. I don't like being in front of people. Verse 10, he says, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to me. I'm slow of speech and tongue. And then, of all things, and this one actually, the Bible says, made God angry. God was just responding to him up till this point. But this last one, Moses says to God, you've made a mistake in asking me. He says, please send someone else. No, Lord. By the way, where do we come off saying, no, Lord? 
Lord means you're in charge of everything, so we're saying no to the one who's in charge of everything. No, Lord, please send someone else. He had the gall to say, you made a mistake, God. You need to ask somebody else. It's not our place when God puts his hand on us to say, you know, I can direct you to a more qualified candidate. We're not the indeed of heaven. We're not, we're not here to help God find somebody, to find somebody better than how we can do it. So God responds to Moses' objections. And I, I, I think if, God, if I could he- listen in on that conversation, I would hear something like this. Moses, I did not draw you up out of the Nile River 80 years ago for you to say to me, send somebody else. I did not draw you up out of that river so that you could tell me that you're deficient. I didn't draw you up out of that river so that you could say, I can't speak very well. I drew you out so that you could do these things. I am promising you my unlimited power and support. I I drew you out for this day, for this moment. This is what it all is coming to. It's reminiscent of what God said to Isaiah many centuries later when he said, I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and I have not rejected you. So do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. Can you go to that slide for me? I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What a a statement of support. I didn't call you because I think you're strong. I didn't call you because you're more talented or you're better looking than all the other babies. I called you because I am putting my hand on you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to uphold you. I didn't draw you up out of the Nile so that you could raise sheep. You're here today because you trusted yourself. You're here today because you had to learn submission and humility. You're here because you needed to be trained in the ways of the desert. I drew you up so that you could use your gifts, your talents, and your experiences in the wilderness. And I have greater things in store for you. And if there's something that I would love to see resonate in every person's heart here tonight or today is this, that God has greater things in store for you. God has greater things in store for you. If you have reached a place where you say, this is about as good as I ever think it's going to get, forget that. God's got something better in store. If maybe your life actually has uh, some, some shipwrecks in it and some, and some failures in it, and you can say, I'm, I'm kind of identifying with Moses with I went out on my own, tried and failed, and now I'm, I'm reaping the consequences. Know this. God has better things in store for you. Your burning bush experiences today where God is saying, I didn't draw you out of your old life, out of your old sin, and out of your, your past failures so that you can just mark time. I drew you up so that you can be a blessing. I drew you up so that you can make a difference. I drew you up for eternal purposes. It's not just because you're better looking or more talented. I drew you up because I want to use you for my glory. 
Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, telling them that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. How could that be more clear? We were created to make an impact, to do, not just to try. That when the, when, the, when the trying doesn't work, that we keep going because we're committed to doing. To the Corinthian church, Paul said, Remember what you were, my friends, when God called you. From a human point of view, few of you were wise or powerful or of high social standing. Aren't you glad that wisdom or high social standing is not the requisite for God to use us? He said God purposely chose what the world considers nonsense in order to shame the wise. He chose what the world considers weak in order to shame the powerful. He chose what the world looks down on and despises and thinks is nothing in order to destroy what the world thinks is important. Hmm. God says all your list of things that count that make the difference if you're usable, successful. He says, they don't matter. They don't count. So we've been looking at this saying, this is Moses' life, but can I turn the tables and say, no, this is your life. We reflect so well on this story about Moses because we go, oh, I've been there, I've done that. I have experienced these emotions. I've been lifted out of sin, lifted out of death, and put in a place now where God can use me for His glory. This is your burning bush experience. I read somewhere that that bush without the fire was just a bush. That bush without the fire would would very soon just blow away and be gone, but when the Spirit of God came into that bush, it became mighty. It was filled with a voice. It was filled with the presence of God. You may say, I'm frail. I'm, I, I, I don't have much in myself. I'm probably not going to last long at this. But when the Spirit of God comes on you, you become mighty. When God places the challenges before us, there's a few points I want us to remember. First of all, God did not make you to be a nobody. He raised you up out of that river of death to be significant. Our our self-talk works against what the Spirit is saying. We say things like, I'm no good. We say, I can't. We say, I failed before. All of those are contrary to what the Holy Spirit is saying today. And if you're born of the Spirit, the book of Colossians says, let's keep in step with the Spirit. God places a challenge before us. The last response He wants from us is, can you find somebody else to do it? He doesn't need your assistance in finding somebody else to do it. He is putting His hand on you because He wants you to be that man, you to be that woman, you to be that student. God, you brought, God has brought you this far so that you will continue to go, not stop. 
there are great things ahead for the people who say yes. Time to leave the desert, give the sheep to somebody else, and go to the challenge that's ahead. Move to that challenge that's ahead. Instead of being the person who looks for every reason to say no, let's be the people who look for every reason to say yes. Yes, God. Yes. In order to do that, we have to look beyond who we are and to look to who God is. I'd like the band to come back up today as we're going to dismiss. Today, I think this is timely for many reasons. First of all, I think it's timely because there are people here today who have resigned themselves to saying, my past disappointment or failure is hung around my neck and I can't ever take that off. And today, I want to give you good news. That is broken today through the power of Jesus Christ. To not believe, Satan wants nothing more than to, than to shut you down. Some of you are quite secure in your salvation. You're saying, I know I'm going to heaven. That's not going to ha- change. And so what would Satan's next move be? Keep you from being effective. If he can't keep you out of heaven, he at least keep you from making a difference for eternity for others. For every person here today who says, I tried and I failed, I want to tell you something. Do or do not do, but there is no try. To say, I'm not going to just say I tried and stop. I can honestly say, all right, I'm doing it, and I had a difficulty along the way, but I'm not stopping. I'm going to be like Henry Ford who said, bankrupt or not, I'm going to build the biggest automobile company the world has ever seen. I'm going to be like an author who says, I may get one rejection, two rejections, ten rejections, twelve rejections, doesn't matter. I'm going to keep writing, I'm going to keep submitting until I become one of the world's most best-selling authors. I'm going to become that developer who says, uh, I may be told it can't be, I may be told I don't have any talent, but I will go forward and I will become valuable in God's sight. I'm going to become that person who says, I tried teaching those junior high students and they made me crazy. That's okay. Go back and teach them some more. Because you know what? We were all junior high students once and we all made people crazy, but here we are today because somebody didn't give up on us. I'm going to be that person who says, I'm not going to quit believing God for my family to serve Christ, for the addicts that I care about to serve Him. I'm not going to quit my dream for missions. I'm not going to quit my dream to, uh, to, to use my talents and abilities. I am going to be one who does, not just one who tries. I would like every person today who says, Pastor, I went ahead and started camping in the wilderness, just assuming this is all I can ever be or do. But today's your burning bush experience where God says, take your shoes off. This is holy ground. You're about to have a life change. Would you stand up with me? You may say, I'm, I'm, a, I'm just a weak, uh, a weak bush with no fire in me. But when the power of God comes into your life, he transforms that weak bush into a mighty voice, into a mighty power for him. So I'd like you to bow your heads with me today and I'd like to ask every person today who says I'm suffering under that 
that message that has entered my life that says I'm a nobody. I'm suffering under this, uh, uh, under this belief that I have no, nothing to contribute. I've given it my best shot. There's nothing ahead for me. I'm just going to mark time knowing that Jesus is coming back soon or I'm going to go to heaven and it'll all be okay then. No. In the, instead, you're saying, I, am, I refuse to be a nobody. I believe the report of the Lord that says I am, I am all that he needs. All he's looking for is for, for lives that would say, here I am, use me, send me, fill me. So today I want every person who says, I, I have been caught in this I'm a nobody mentality and I need to be set free. I want you to raise your hand and hold it up because I'm going to pray with you right where you are. Put it up because I'm going to start praying right away. In the name of Jesus, I pray for every person today whose hand just went up and said, I have bought this lie. I have begun to, uh, to, to labor under this, that I, I can't do things, that I have past failures or I, I, I don't have enough gifts or talents or I'm just, uh, I, I'm just overlooked. I pray, Lord, that today you would release people into a new level of effectiveness, into a new level of trust and belief that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit now, that you would take the empty bushes that have nothing and fill them with the power of God and let us be flaming for you now in the name of Jesus. I want every person who's got their hands up to begin to pray. If you can speak in tongues, I want you to begin to just pray out to him and ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit right now. And everybody in the church, I don't. let's all do that. Let's just lift our hands and begin to pray. Lord, we ask now that you would fill your church with power, that you would fill your people with power, that this would be a time now of a, of, a, of a meeting with God, of a pouring out of your Holy Spirit like we have not seen in the past, that this would become a journey of believing you, a journey of saying yes to you, a journey, Lord, of seeing your power poured out in lives who are open and available. Lord God, I ask that you would now take away every distraction, everything that Satan has done to try to make us think that we have nothing to offer. We pray now, Lord, for the release of a new thing, new life to flow. You drew us up out of life, out of death, so that we could live in life. You drew us out of that Nile so that we could make a difference. You drew us up so that we could be filled with the Holy Spirit. We are the people of God. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We are all that you need in this world. And we ask, Lord, that you would fill us and use us in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Let's praise him. Father, we praise you. We thank you for this. We praise you and we thank you for this. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I also believe the Holy Spirit wants me to bring this up to our attention today, so look up at me. I just wonder if there are some people who are saying, for me to be used of God, it means I'm going to have to say no to some lesser things that my identity is not where I'm at now, that there is something ahead that's more. That Moses had to leave the identity of I'm a shepherd to these sheep in the wilderness and go on to be, I'm going to be the, I'm going to be the leader who will take these people out of Egypt. That was a big leap. But he was willing to leave one to go on to the other. I'm just wondering how many people here today in your heart would say, I know that God is speaking to me today, that it's time for me to leave something that's lesser in order to move on to something that's greater. It's time for me to leave the lesser to move on to the greater. That my identity is not going to be tied up into this moment, this current moment, but I believe that God has something ahead for me. I want you to raise your hand with me as I pray for you. 
Lord, I pray for every person who would say, I believe that you have something ahead for me that's greater. That right now you are speaking to lives. You are pouring into people's lives now saying, there's something great around the next bend. There's something ahead that's a challenge. There's a Pharaoh to go meet. There's, there's There's a need to be met. There's a people to be set free. There's a ministry to be fulfilled. There's something more for me in my life. There's something greater around this next bend. And I receive it now in Jesus' name. And I shed in the name of Jesus all of my excuses. No more, I don't know God enough. No more, I'm not eloquent enough. No more, I'm not a leader enough. No more, I don't have the skills. No more saying, I tried, but I failed. From this point forward, we will look ahead. The author and the finisher, the one who said he will bring to completion that which he started. In the name of Jesus, I thank you for this. And Lord, we also repent of anything in us that says, not me, send somebody else. Lord, we repent of that. This nation, which needs Christ so badly, will not be won by people who say, not me, send somebody else. This nation is going to be won by people who say, I am the man, I am the woman, I'm the one you've been looking for. Even so, send me. Thank you for this word today. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the infilling of your Holy Spirit. I want to send you with this word today. Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, said to this, He said, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that in Christ's power may rest on me. Let's praise him today before we go. Thank you, Lord. Just lift your voices. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Let your power live live in me. Let your power come upon us, Lord. We boast in our weaknesses because you are strong. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. God bless you. Go in power and authority. Amen.